busy, but if you can make time to come out and be a part of that, yeah? Okay, I also want to remind you, um, if you know anyone that is in need of groceries and food, we do have a food pantry. It's been amazing. Every Friday from 4 to 6, 4, to 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the back here, we've been, was 175 individuals, families that we've been serving, yeah, every Friday, and yeah, it's been pretty, pretty wild, man. It's been awesome, and we had uh, one guy that's been coming, came through the food pantry, attend service last week, so hopefully they'll come back. So just uh, welcome. Once again, welcome. God bless you. We love you. Uh, we hope that you feel God's presence and God's peace in this place. Yeah? Okay. Uh, also, if you, if, for those of you, um, the Valdez family, we, we've been passing out this, these uh, bracelets. It's called Undivided. We have, it says Undivided, Cry Out. So uh, go to the info center after, and we have uh, adults and children. Grab one, uh, and that way you can have that and be reminded of Cry Out. All right? So we've been in this series, Undivided, and now we're back in person, which is awesome, right? And we, we, uh, we are going to be an undivided church. We're going to stay unified in the Lord, right? Okay? All right. So let's go ahead and let's pray, and then let's dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity and the blessing of being in your presence. And Lord, just coming together as a family and, and, and worshiping and praying and, and loving you and loving one another and we're so grateful for that, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would bless every individual who is here and, and also those who are listening, Lord, online as well. So, Father, I decrease that you would increase, empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your Bible app as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> verses 35 through 58. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. We're going to go ahead and uh, finish off chapter 15 today. We're now in part 29 of our series, Undivided. Say undivided. Now, as always, we know this, right? Before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, uh, which was verses 12 through 34. And I gave you three points last week. You might remember these points and the first one was the protest of the resurrection. Say that, the protest of the resurrection. And we know that in the Corinthian church, the doctrine of the resurrection was under attack. And so what Paul does, Paul raises the question, what if Jesus had not been raised from the dead in order to show how much hangs on the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And in verses 12 through 19, what he does, he points out seven results. Paul does this. He points out seven results if the resurrection never happened. And if the resurrection never happened, Paul says, we have no foundation. Our preaching is useless. Our faith is useless. We are false witnesses. Our faith is without forgiveness. Our death is without deliverance. And our life is without significance. But thank God. Say, thank God. Paul doesn't end with verse 19. Yeah? Praise God for that. And the question is, is there any hope, any reason to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And Paul answers this, verse 20. He says, but Christ. And the two most amazing words in this chapter, but Christ has indeed been what? Come on, church. Raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So we can do away with the what if, Right? We can do away with the what if because Jesus Christ, as Paul says, has indeed been raised from the dead. 
And now all of those negatives are now transformed into positives. Therefore, our foundation is firm. Our preaching is genuine. Our faith is alive. Our witness is true. Our forgiveness is accomplished. Our death has deliverance. And our life has significance. So we saw the protest of the resurrection. The second point of last week's message was the purpose of the resurrection. And we saw that the purpose of the resurrection is that it arranges our justification and it also assures our resurrection. And the third point of last week's message was the program of the resurrection. Say that, the program of the resurrection. And there Paul shows us how God is ultimately responsible for this whole chain of events that began with Christ's resurrection that culminates in the destruction of death. And then Paul confronts those who are being baptized for the dead. What are you guys doing, he's saying. And then in verse 30, Paul's like, hey, if there is no resurrection, Paul's saying this, if there's no resurrection of the dead, why should we put ourselves in danger for something that's not true? Why would we place our lives in danger for the gospel? Well, Paul was willing to place his life in danger for the gospel. Why? Because he knew there was a resurrection, say resurrection, for those who die in Christ. And he gave evidence to that by the way that he lived his life, lived his life all out, say all out, all out for the gospel. And friends, it was the hope of the resurrection that strengthened Paul, listen now, to endure severe trials and persecution because he knew this life was not the end. And then in verse 33, he says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. And what Paul's saying, hey, your wrong view of the resurrection has been influenced by the bad company you keep. And what they're doing to you guys, they're undermining the firm foundation that has been established in you. Then he continues to rebuke them. In verse 34, he says, come back to your senses. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. In other words, he's saying, guys, you need to wake up. You need to wake up, think with discernment, and come back to the reality of the truth. And it's, it's, it's as if they were asleep and had become morally and doctrinally lazy. So Paul calls them out on their sin. He calls them out on their sin. It's a sin to deny the truth of the resurrection of the dead. This now brings us to today's text and the title of my message is Raised in Glory. Everyone say that, Raised in Glory. Now, we know that Paul has made it very, very clear to the Corinthian believers and all believers, all believers, right, that one day their bodies, that our bodies will be resurrected. And he proved it by proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to verse 20 real quick here. And, and it's, listen to what Paul said there in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been what? Raised from the dead, the first fruits, say first fruits, of those who have fallen asleep, those who've died in Christ. Now remember, first fruits means that Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead and never to die again. That's what it means. Got it? To be raised, first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Therefore, he's our entrance fee to the resurrection. He, he paid our admission to the resurrection. His resurrection is proof. It's down payment. It's a, a guarantee. Say guarantee. 
that we will be raised from the dead. Good place to say amen. So Jesus, the first fruits, is the first of more to come. His resurrection was only the beginning of a great harvest, and we're part of that harvest. Now, in this last section of this chapter, we finish out Paul's words regarding the resurrection and what he does. What Paul does is he, he focuses on the resurrected body of believers. Now, remember, some of the Corinthian believers couldn't understand how God would be able to transform their earthly bodies into a resurrection body. And therefore, they were believing that there was to be no resurrection of the dead. They thought that. There's no way you can resurrect our bodies. And not to mention the skeptics who were influencing and corrupting them regarding the resurrection of the body. So I have three points from our text today. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one, we see here is the pattern, the pattern of the resurrection. Say that. The pattern of the resurrection. And here, Paul, what he does, he illustrates the difference between the earthly and the heavenly bodies. And he begins by asking a question that some might ask concerning what type of body, what type of body those who are raised in Christ will have. Well, let's look at verse 35, and Paul says, but some may ask, okay, some may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? In other words, someone may ask, how is it possible for a body, for a body that has died, has been buried, and now, and now rotten away into dust, now be brought back to life? I mean, what kind of body will that look like? Well, verses 36 and 37, Paul says, how foolish. He's, he gives a strong rebuke here. How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it what? You got to get that. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so what Paul does now, he gives a word picture here, and I love it. He says, verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So what he does, he uses an illustration from nature. And Paul's point is this, friends, death is a necessary process in resurrection, it's essential to resurrection. It's kind of like, if I can give you an example or illustration, if you take an oak tree, an oak tree seed, it's a very small seed, very small seed, and as you bury it in the ground, what happens, it begins to die and decompose. It's called germination, to germinate, right? And yet from that death process, as the seed dies and decomposes, comes what? A huge living tree. Are you guys with me? You see, the seed passes through death and decay to, raise, to, to rise to a higher form of life in the tree. In other words, this is what I'm saying. What Paul is saying, actually, is what comes up is more beautiful than what was planted. Got it? You, you ever see a tulip seed, a tulip bulb? It's the most unattractive seed. Ugly. Say ugly. Okay? But it gives forth a beautiful flower. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I love it. No farmer weeps when he buries a seed. In fact, he rejoices with anticipation what is to come. Then he goes on to say this. Your Christian loved one is not lost in death. He is sown, and you will find him again, and when you do, you will find more than you lost. 
Amen? So follow me here, okay? If God can take a decomposed seed and bring out of it a living oak tree, don't you think God can take a decomposed body? I need someone to say amen. And bring forth a new resurrected body, right? Question, is anything too hard for God? I mean, is anything too hard for God? No, nothing is too hard for our miracle-working God. Yeah? You see, Paul's like, for those of you who deny the resurrection of the body, obviously don't know the power of God. You don't know the power of God. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has what? Determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So follow me here, friends. Our resurrected body will be material, immortal, identical with the present body, and probably uh, reveal the same personality and individuality. And yet it will be different in nature and different in, in, in quality. It will be perfect, say perfect, in every single way. Someone say amen to that. So this begs the question, right, begs the question, since we will have the same personality and the same individuality, will we, will we recognize, excuse me, will we recognize each other in heaven? The question, the answer is, yeah. Isn't that cool? Yes, we will, friends, but it will be a different kind and quality of existence that you and I know. Move on, verses 39 through 41. If you're still with me, say Amen. Not all flesh is the same. He says this, men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the spender of the heavenly bodies is one kind, the spender of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's simply saying, friends, since God has made and given different kinds of bodies in the animal kingdom to fit a certain kind of habitat or environment and has made and given trillions of different celestial bodies, the moon, the sun, the stars, etc., to fit a certain kind of environment, then why can't God make a resurrected body different so as to fit it for the heavenly environment? the eternal state. Why is it so hard to believe that God could do that? Well, he can, amen? So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Nothing, say nothing, is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God, right? Did God create you? God created me, he created you, right? The psalmist says that we are what? Wonderfully and fearfully made. He woven us together. So if he created you, don't you think God can raise you up in glory with a resurrected, perfect body? Right? Nothing, say nothing, nada is impossible for our God. So you have the pattern of the resurrection. Number two, follow me now, is the perfection of the resurrection. The perfection of the resurrection. And you'll see that here... Paul describes the, the, the new body, say the new body, come on, say the new body, as, as better, superior to the old body. Now, now, I want you to notice what Paul does here. He's just brilliant. God just bless this man. He's brilliant. Paul contrasts 
what our two types of bodies are like. And so I want you to follow me. If you're ready, say yes. Verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. And he says this, the body that is sown. So it's at death, which is when our bodies are sown. The body that is sown, in other words, the body that is buried. Got it? The body that is buried is what? Come on, is what? Perishable. Now I want you to get this and listen now, okay? The moment that you and I were born, the moment you and I were born, we started to waste away. Right? And no matter, listen, no matter, friends, how many exercises we do, how many vitamins that you and I take, how much organic food we we eat, how much brown rice we eat, how many plastic surgeries or tummy tucks one may have, how much makeup a woman wears, or listen, how many hair transplant a man has, our body is slowly wasting away. It is. In fact, Philippians 3.21 Philippians 3.21, Paul calls our body, our bodies lowly bodies. Come on, Paul, really? Lowly bodies. Lowly bodies. Right? Poem reads like this, mirror, mirror on the wall. You're not playing fair at all. I'm really now upset with you for giving your distorted view. You show my hair is turning gray. It's just the way the shadows play. I know that you're not hanging straight to make me look so overweight. The way you show a double chin is the way the light comes in. I think I'm, I think I'm fine, but you're so wise to put such accent on my thighs. I wish you'd try to be my friend and tell me I'm a little thin. Please don't let the wrinkles show. I like to have a shiny glow. I see you won't respond at all, so I'll just tear you off the wall. Our bodies are wasting away. I'll, I will be 59 years old October 8th, and I tell you, I, no matter how many exercises I do, no matter how many miles I run a week, my body's wasting away. It's a lowly body. Things just hang. Yeah? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Mirrors don't lie. Mirrors don't lie, right? Okay. Stand in front of the mirror and then turn sideways. All right? <laughs> Mirrors don't lie, right? I thought I'd add that lesson in there to be humorous, okay, right? So let's read on. Well, first of all, he says the body that is sown is what? Buried is what? Perishable. Let's read on. And is raised imperishable. Notice the contrast. Perishable, what? Imperishable. So the resurrected body, listen now, won't be subject to disease. To disease won't be subject to disease. It will be free from every process of deterioration. Someone say amen. So we know that our bodies will rot in the grave. We know that, right? They're going to rot in the grave, but they will what? Rise incorruptible and imperishable. Verse 43, he says, it is sown in dishonor. It's buried in dishonor. And there's, there are a few things, let's be honest, there are a few things more dishonorable than a corpse. When the body dies, friends, when it dies, it, what, it decays. It's foul. It's foul. And no matter how much the mortician tries to avoid this dishonor of death by painting and powdering the corpse, it's going to eventually, what, decay. Right? So he says, it is sown, buried in dishonor. Notice the contrast. It is raised in glory. 
Got it? Sown in dishonor, buried in dishonor, but what? It's raised in glory. The resurrected body, you got to get this, friends, will be a glorified body, whole, complete, perfect. Perfect. It will be far superior, listen now, in attractiveness, someone say amen, and radiance. Amen? Then he goes on to say, it is sown, buried in weakness. So we know that in burial, the body is fragile, it's lifeless, it's weak, it's just lifeless, right? So it's sown, it's buried in weakness, but notice what happens in resurrection. Notice the contrast, it's raised in power. The word power, in the Greek, the word power is dunamis. And that's where we get our word dynamite from. Dunamis. It means strength. It means power, like power, power, ability. So the resurrected body will have enlarged powers, unbelievable power. Listen now. And be incapable of fatigue. Someone needs to say amen to that. Verse 44. Notice the contrast here. It is sown, buried in, sown a natural body, right? A natural body. It is what? Raised a what? Spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a what? So you, got, you see what he's saying here? The natural body was designed to live here on this earth, right? Suited to an earthly environment. The spiritual body is designed for heaven, for a spiritual environment to be in the presence of God, what we call the eternal state. Got it? So there's a natural body, and there's also going to be what? It's going to be raised as a spiritual body, right? Verse 45. So it is written. This is what he says. The first man, Adam, became what? A living being. Verse 45. The last Adam. Who's the last Adam? Jesus, say Jesus, a life-giving spirit. So God, we know that God gave life to the first Adam. Genesis 2-7 states that God created man, Adam. Genesis 2-7. So he gave life to the first Adam, right? Jesus as the last Adam. Last Adam is not just alive, but he gives life. The first Adam gave us death. The last Adam, Jesus, Gives us life. Some of you said amen like you have no life. Say amen. Verse 46. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. So chronologically, stay with me here now. Chronologically, Adam lived before Jesus took on human flesh, right? So this chronological parallel is the same with our bodies. Follow me here. First, we have an earthly body, right? We have, we're born, right, in, in this earth. We have an earthly body, then we get a spiritual body. The first body gives us that which is what? Natural. The second birth, being born again, gives us that which is what? Spiritual. Are you with me? Now, if you're saved, say amen. Can't hear you if you're saved, say Amen. By coming to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we have abandoned the fate of the first Adam to share in the eternal state of the last Adam. Amen? Verses 47 through 49. The first Adam was of the dust of the earth. 
the second Adam from, the second man from, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. That's speaking of Jesus, the second man. Verse 48, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of what? Heaven. Verse 49, and just as we have borne the likeness, got to get this, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we, and love this, bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So our old earthly bodies bear a resemblance to Adam. That's what he's saying, to Adam. But our future resurrected bodies will be like Jesus' resurrected body. So I want you to write this down, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, and, and I love what he says. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears when he comes, right? When he appears, we shall be like him. Got it? For we shall see him as what? He is. So, so as Christians, friends, we will receive full transformation spiritually and physically at the point when Christ comes back to take us home. Got it? Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 and Paul writes this, but our citizenship is what? In heaven. In heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're waiting for. Yeah? Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything, everything under his control, will, love this, will transform, say transform, our, here we go, lowly bodies. So that they will be like his glorious body. Amen? Lesson. You guys ready for the lesson? Here we go. The resurrection body wins. Wins. The resurrection body wins. Follow me here. Incorruption triumphs over corruption. Glory triumphs over dishonor. Power triumphs over weakness. Spiritual triumphs over natural. As Followers of Jesus Christ, we are raised in incorruption. We are raised in glory. We are raised in power. Amen. So follow me here. The pattern of the resurrection, the perfection of the resurrection. Number three, if you're still with me, say amen. The promise, I love this, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection. Say that. Now let's look at verse 50. Verse 50. Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood, say flesh and blood, cannot, 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 cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So what Paul's doing here, Paul's making it clear that these present bodies of ours, these bodies that we have of ours are not fit, not suited for heaven. Not. There's no way, friends. It's like an astronaut who has to wear, you know, a special suit in space, right? Because what? His body couldn't survive in space. And likewise, friends, we couldn't survive in God's presence in these present bodies of ours. We couldn't handle it. If you're safe, say amen. So, so we, so I love this, we will be given a supernatural space suit. <laughs> amen? 
a spiritual body suited for eternity. I mean, I can't imagine. It's going to be awesome, right? Verses 51 through 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Here you go. He shares a mystery. We will not all see. In other words, we will not all die. Some are not going to die before Jesus comes back. But we will what? All be what? Changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. Now, friends, the last trumpet will signify the fulfillment of this promise. And he goes on to say this. The dead will be what? Raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must what? Clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So there is a moment in the future, we know this, right? In the future, when there will be a great resurrection called the what? Rapture. It's called harpazo. Harpazo, it's, it's being caught up. Harpazo, right? People say, well, rapture's not in the Bible. Bible's not in the, the word Bible's not in the Bible, okay? Right? But it's being caught up. You ever, have you ever caught up in the love of your spouse? It's like that, caught up, I'm caught up. It's rapture, are you guys with me? First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 through 17. First Thessalonians chapter four, Verses 16 through 17. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with what? A loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You get that? After that, we who are still alive and are left will be what? Hear it? Caught up. There it is. Caught up. Harpazo. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord, say, forever. Now listen, when a believer dies, when a believer dies, their soul goes immediately to heaven. Got it? Their body's on the ground, but their soul goes immediately with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their body, their shell, their earthly tent is still in the grave but their soul is with Jesus. Can I get an amen? Follow me here. At the time of the rapture, those who have already died, listen now, will receive a new resurrected body and their soul, listen now, will be reunited with their resurrected body. Then those of us who are still alive will be instantly changed and caught up into the air to be with Jesus. How cool is that? There will be a generation who will not die. A generation of Christians who will not die. And those are those who will get caught up while they're still alive. I hope, I hope I'm part of that. How cool will that be? You're just doing your thing, right? You're just doing your thing. And, you know, hopefully you're praying, right, and reading God's Word or witnessing to somebody. And all of a sudden, whoop, right? And then you're instantly changed. Man. I know it's hard to comprehend this, but this is what God's Word says, yeah? Verses 54 to 55. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And this is what Paul says. Death has been swallowed up in what? Victory. Verse 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
Now, you have this saying here, both, uh, both Old Testament prophets Isaiah and, and Hosea said this. Isaiah 25.8 and Hosea 13.14. They said, so Paul's quoting them. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Uh, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And so Paul quotes this, so we should be comforted by this. Right? Yeah? Death is what? In other words, death is declawed. It's swallowed up. It's as though Paul is taunting death. He's taunting death, okay? He confronts this enemy called death. Death which swallowed up will now be swallowed up. Death's stinger is removed. You're safe, say amen. Death for the believer is like a declawed wild animal or a scorpion without a stinger. Got it? So here's the lesson. You guys ready? Death has no power over me. If you're saved, if you're saved, you can say that with confidence, okay? If you're not saved, you can't say that. But if you're saved, you can say death has no power over me. Listen, friends, death is no longer an enemy to the believer, but a servant, a servant who opens the door into eternity. Amen? So we should not fear death. 56 and 57, you're still with me, say amen. The sting of death is what? Sin, and the power of sin is the law. In other words, friends, if it were not for sin, we wouldn't die, but sin is a reality. And the eternal moral law of God, what it does, it points out, it points, points out to us that what? That we are sinners. That's what the law does. But notice what Paul says. But thanks be to God. Say that. Verse 57. But thanks be to God. He, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, friends, what Paul is saying is that sin is canceled and the strength of the law to condemn us is removed. Why? Because it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And by the word, the word gives there, gives there, he says, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word gives there is in the present tense. Literally means God keeps on, keeps on giving us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That tells me that you and I should live victorious lives, not defeated lives. Are you guys with me? God keeps on, love that, giving us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now look at verse 58a. We're gonna break this down in three parts here. Verse 58a, Paul says, therefore, say therefore. That word is very important. This goes back to the whole truth of the resurrection taught in the previous verses of this chapter. He's going back. Hey, go back. Therefore, what you've learned previous now, okay, what you learned in this chapter, was, what it does, it gives, and he's saying, go back to what you've learned that has given you new meaning and purpose to life for the Christian. So he's saying, therefore, what you've learned about the resurrection, my dear brothers, okay, therefore, stand firm. All that you learn now, stand firm. Say, stand firm. Let nothing move you. That is awesome. That's awesome. Stand firm, let nothing move you. The word stand firm means simply to be seated, to be settled, to be firmly established. 
firmly established. In other words, we are to be seated, settled. Get this now, seated, settled, firmly established, firmly grounded in our faith. We are to know what we believe and why we believe it. And not only know what we believe and why we believe it, but listen now, Christians, stand by it. Stand by it. And it's God's word, say God's word, that keeps us steadfast and immovable. And this is why we here at Cry Out Christian Fellowship, here at Cry Out, we teach and preach God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so we can stand firm in our Christian commitment, in our Christian character, and also in our Christian doctrine. And what's sad, what's sad is some believers are not willing, sad, that some believers, some churches, are not willing to take a stand for the truth. You know why? Because standing for the truth and refusing to be swayed by our culture is not a popular thing. And friends, our culture doesn't like it, doesn't like it when we refuse to conform to, the, to their ways, to their philosophy, to their wants and their desires. Are you with me? Now, if you're saved, say amen. I didn't hear you. You're saved, say amen. We, we have not been called to conform to the culture. We have not been called to conform to the culture. You and I as believers have not been called to conform to the world or to please the culture or to please the world. In fact, we have been called to come from along, from among the world, friends, and be separate and different from them. In the world, yes, not of the world. Romans, Romans 12 too, right? If you read that, we are called to be, listen now, transformers, not conformers. Are you a transformer? Conformer. Verse 58b, always say always. Okay, it's not like sometimes, no. Oh, when you feel like it, or when things are going good, no. Always, what? Give yourselves, what? Half-heartedly? Fully, wholly to the work of who? The Lord. It literally means exceeding a fixed amount overflowing. That's what it's overflowing, exceeding. In other words, friends, listen now, our work for God is not to be passive or scarce. We are to literally overflow for Him. It's a toil. It's a toil, labor, which brings sweat, friends. That's what it is. And this shows the intensity that you and I should have in doing the work of God, doing the work of the ministry. Now, I want to say this. We may get weary in the ministry. That's okay. But we must never get weary of the ministry. And I got to tell you, friends, I, I, I've been weary in the ministry. I have not taken time off in 18 months. Okay? I'm weary in it, tired, but not weary of it. Amen? Now, the truth is, there are some Christians who have no problem in abounding and overflowing when it comes to their desires and their agenda. But when it comes to God's work, there's no abounding and overflowing in their lives. If you're safe, say amen. We could never, say we could never do too much for God. We could never do too much for God, right? But we could do much more than what we are presently doing. 
Hey, can you imagine? Let's think about it. Can you imagine what would happen here at Cry Out if everyone decided to abound and overflow in the work of God? Can you imagine? Question. When it comes to the work of God, in other words, when it comes to serving God, are you abounding, overflowing, or are you just coasting, just cruising along? Hmm? Are you fulfilling the calling and responsibilities that God has given you? Have you? God's called you to do something. Are you doing it? Because you know why? He deserves your very best. He deserves my very best. Verse 58c, the last part, here we go. Paul says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is what? Not in vain. You keep working, you keep serving. It's not in vain. Huh? And sometimes I think to myself, Lord, is it really worth it, the things that I do, Lord, and, and I, I labor, labor, and he says, your labor's not in vain, Arnold. It's not in vain. And how many times do we want to give up? How many times do you want to say, forget this, man. It's, you know, there's no results or anything going on in my life. But your labor, my labor is not in vain. Amen? Because you know that your labor in the Lord, in the Lord, is not in vain. And because of the resurrection, friends, no labor is done in vain. They are not empty of divine purposes. So I want to tell you right now, listen, your labor, I don't know what you're going through. And you're loving God and serving God. You're just going through almost like, a, like hell. Your labor for God is not in vain. You keep, go, you keep plugging, going away, because there will be a day when you will be raised from the dead. Right? And you'll realize that it's all been worth it, man. It's all been worth it. Right? All the hardship, all the pain, and, and laboring for God and doing all I, I can for God. Hey, it's all been what? Worth it. Everything, listen now, church, we do has a divine purpose and will count for eternity. It's going to count. John D. Patton, the 19th century missionary at the South Seas, was leaving home in Scotland to go preach to the cannibalistic people of the new Hebrides Islands. When a well-meaning church member said to him, the cannibals, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by the cannibals. And without hesitation, he replied, I confess to you that if I can live and die serving my Lord Jesus Christ, it makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by the cannibals or by worms. For in that great day of resurrection, my body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Romans 8.18, I want you to hold on to this, okay? Is life tough? God is faithful. All right? But I want to encourage you, Romans 8.18. We're almost done here, Romans 8.18. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, not worth comparing the glory that will be revealed in us. Hold on. D.L. Moody, you know who he is, right? D.L. Moody, during the end of his life, he had the opportunity to write his own eulogy. <laughs> and he wrote this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. 
but don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I should be more alive than I am now. I shall go up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837, but I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. So, so here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? And we're going to close with this. The best is yet to come. Yeah. And I got to tell you, friends, the way this world is, the way things are going, I just remind myself the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So listen, friends, the best, say that, the best is yet to come. So don't fear, don't fret, don't faint, and don't forget that, yes, the best is yet to come. Amen?